Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to City River. Whether you're here in person, you're with us online, we're grateful for what God is doing in this day, on this day, through this day. So as we prayed, we just open our hearts to receive the word that he has in store for us. And we say amen to all of that. You know, in the last little while, there's a word that has been going around that most of us probably have heard. And uh, a few, maybe more than a few, maybe all, I don't know, have experienced to some degree or other. And that word is brain fog. Anybody relate to brain fog? Some of you are in brain fog right now and you don't know what I'm talking about. No. Brain fog. Uh, I remember one time I was driving on a road at night and it was one of those not winter, not fall nights. It was at the near end, near the end of the fall. And I was driving somewhere on my way to, actually it wasn't fall, it was uh, August. I was on my way to a conference center uh, to speak at a conference, a family conference. And that night, the road that I was traveling looked very similar to this. Now this is bright because headlights were on. And when the headlights are on, and if you put them on high beam, they go up and you see the fog block everything else. Now you'll notice that there's no lights in the background. And the road was, I kept an eye on the GPS because there was a little bit of a twist and turn in it. In the middle of the fog, I couldn't see too far ahead. So I quickly turned off my high beams, turned on my fog lights, slowed myself down, my car down, so that I wasn't taking a turn without realizing and keep going straight. Or the road wasn't taking a turn and I kept on going straight. It's like that when we are experiencing brain fog. You have no idea where you're going. You don't know how to make decisions because you're sort of in this situation where you feel straight jacketed and you don't want to make the wrong decision. And uh, you're sort of stuck. That's brain fog. But there's all kinds of other fog in our lives. You're struggling with a decision. You don't know to invest in this business or to get out of this business. You don't know to sell this house or to buy that house. You don't know to marry this person or to, I'm not going to go there, but to kill this person. <laughs> You know, they asked uh, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, with Billy's travel schedule, he's never home to take care of the kids, and there was a number of kids. Have you ever considered divorce? And her answer was very straightforward. She said, divorce, no, but murder, yes. <laughs> so anyway, so all of these things are circumstances that we struggle with. And then there's health. And a lot of times you're in a fog in health. You may be feeling things, you may be experiencing things, you go get tests, nothing comes back, 
or you're waiting for the doctor to let you know about something and you're all in turmoil, what's he going to say, I'm afraid. In all of these circumstances, our mind is processing so fast, we end up lacking sleep because it's an overdrive and it doesn't want to let us rest. So what I'm hoping today is to tap into the Word of God and to show us what God tells us about all this fog. Because uh, we live in a situation that is kind of unknown. COVID provided the whole world with fog. We didn't know when we were going to come out of this. We still have the dispensers and the pumps and all of that sanitization stuff. Uh, disinfecting stuff. So I'm hoping that through the insights that we can tap into from the Word of God to be able to give you something that at the end of today as you go home you'll be able to hold on to that and lean on that in the days to come. The Word of God in Psalm 119 it's the longest psalm we have out of the 150 tells us these words. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. On that highway as I was driving, there was no light to the path. And the fog lights, if I had the high beams on, I was even more blinded. The fog lights only lit a little distance in front of the car. So I had to go slow. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much, preserved my life, Lord, according to your word. The word that's a lamp and a light. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes... Another translation says, you're, anybody have another translation that you're following along? Your precepts, your statutes, but it says something else in another translation. Anybody have that? Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. The psalmist here tells us what he discovered in his journey dealing with the life in the fog. He says very plainly that the word of God is the lamp, is the light. What is the word of God? Well, the word of God is, I was going to say my phone, but my app on that phone which has the Bible on it, that's the Word of God right now that I carry with me. Some of you have paper Bibles, wave one Alina, yeah, the Word of God. The letters that are on there, they're not just words, but they're something else. So what he's telling us in this psalm is that he wants to live his life in the framework of the Word of God he wants to place himself within the boundaries 
of the word of God so that that word becomes illumination, light, removes the fog. The guide, that which you can follow. You know, when you're one of those highways, if you're the only car driving, you have to go real slow. But if there's a few other cars ahead of you, then you can follow the red light on their taillights. And it makes the journey a lot easier. It's hard for the one in the very front because he's the one or she's the one opening the way. But the ones that follow, of course, you don't follow too close. You don't want to get bumping, right? If there's a sudden break or whatever. But these are very powerful analogies to how we live in the fog of life. You may wonder, how is this going to help me make decisions in the circumstances that I just described? How is the Word of God going to help me decide to marry this person or not? How is the Word of God going to help me to keep this job or find another one? All kinds of questions like that. How is that Word of God going to help me in a situation where I'm told that I... I'm not well physically. How is the word of God going to put food on my table? I can't pay the bills. The proverb, uh, the prophet Isaiah, when he was looking prophetically and I guess you can say that prophecy we know that prophecy is speaking the mind of God right so a prophet or a prophetic person sees I guess you can say through the fog in uh, Ireland there are places that you can visit physical places, that as you visit those places, you experience God in a deeper way. They call those places as being thin space. Why do they call them thin space? That's Irish uh, Celtic tradition. They call them thin space because the fog in that area that allows you to see or, or blocks your ability to see into the spirit realm that fog is thinner, so it's not as dense. So when you're in those spaces, and there's many different places like that across the globe, they're basically places where the people of God have met, cultivated, and done things on that spot. And now there is a residue, if you will, of the Spirit of God that has worked in people's lives. And when you go to those places, it sounds mystical, but when you go to those places, it's as though you can connect with the actions of God and the behaviors of God and the behaviors of the people of history in those places. We had the opportunity uh, in 2017, Silva, Aaron, myself had joined another group and we went to Armenia. And Armenia is known to be a land of many monasteries and many old, old 
brick churches. So we visited the church that was at the feet of Mount Ararat. A couple hundred meters away, a hundred meters away from a wire border separating Armenia and this monastery and Mount Ararat. So we're right there, very close to Turkey. But the interesting part isn't even all that. It's the monastery that's there and the church that's there. It's called St. Gregory's Monastery. St. Gregory was the Persian man, the Parthian, Parthian, that had brought the gospel to Armenia. And he was actually, when he was discovered to be a Christian who would not bow to the king after a military victory and to the gods of that king, the Armenian king, the king took him and threw him in the pit and kept him there with the expectation that he would not survive past four, five days with all the snakes that are in that pit. Somehow, miraculously, he survived 13 years. He kept 13. He kept on praying for Armenia and... In that place, 13 years later, the king had actually grown, according to tradition, he had grown mad and grown horns to that degree. He was like a wild boar in the fields. And nothing could help him. Doctors could not help him. So the king and the whole country was in a fog. Their king was now, who had come back from Rome after his father was killed in the very palace, by, believe it or not, that Parthian man's father. It was a whole history thing. So there was this battle between the Armenians and the Persians, and now this man in the pit is still alive. The king upstairs, above ground, is mad. He's gone crazy. He's got this horn growing out of his head. They don't know what to do. The king's sister sees a dream. Bring the man out of the pit. What man out of the pit? The man is dead. She sees the dream again. Bring the man out of the pit. She goes and tells the other princes and the other ministers. And they say, you're crazy. That man should definitely be dead by now. She sees the dream a third time. So she goes to the pit, calls his name, and the man responds, comes out, heals the king through the blood of Christ. The king is restored after having been sentenced to death in that pit. He is restored, and now they have a monastery above the pit. So when you go to that monastery, and you go down into that pit, you feel that thinness of the space that's there. You feel the presence of God in the stones that, that make up the pit. You feel the presence of God in some of these places. There's another monastery called the Monastery of the Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S the Psalms, as in the Psalm book. And these, this was a monastery that was probably the first house of prayer that had 24-hour worship per day, where they would take the, the songs of the Psalms and worship to them. And when you go there, it's a historic building. There's, like, you find no wood. It's all stone. And this limestone, it used to be probably white. It's now dark black. Nothing you can rub will come off. It's so ingrained into the limestone. But as you step into those places, the worship that went on there constantly, you can feel the presence of God there. And it's not just an imaginary thing that, oh, yeah, wow, you know, an, an emotional high that you have. Why? 
because God is interested in transforming all the earth. He's interested in transforming all of creation. So when he comes in to, to dwell in a space, stuff happens to that space that now has been marked by his spirit. A few weeks ago, I shared that we are earth. So it's the same thing. When the word of God, when the presence of the Holy Spirit lives in a person, it marks that person. And that person becomes a walking thin space where now when the spirit is dwelling in me and I'm allowing worship to rise out of me and now I become a monastery like building, earth, limestone, brick. I possess the presence of God with me and I walk with him and he comes with me. And people, when they come into contact with you, when you've cultivated that, they feel the same thing they feel when they go to that monastery of Gregory. They feel the same thing that they feel when they are in contact with you when they go to that monastery called the Psalm Monastery. Because you are now a living temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Word of God comes into your life, guides you. But we still haven't answered the question, how? How does this Word guide me? Isaiah, who sees as a prophet, he was seeing through thin space because he had cultivated the presence of God in his life and cultivated and meditated on the Word of God constantly. So he was able to see things that normal people couldn't see. He would see visions because he could pierce through the fog. His spirit could see what is unseen with the human eye. He had spiritual fog lights. And you and I can have those. They're standard equipment for every Christian. You just got to know how to switch the flip or flip the switch. Flipping the switch is easy. I will meditate on your word and will not step away from it. I will cultivate. I will allow. I will harness my spirit so that it can submit to your word. So Isaiah says this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. What's he talking about? He's talking about God's word. So shall my word, God is saying this through Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah. God is saying it just as the water that goes out and the snow that goes out. My word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return empty. So the word of God. Now, the letters on the page, you know, pixels on my phone, they are not the word of God. They're the letters of the expression of the word of God. Fancy wording. Something happens when you read it. Something happens when you read the word of God that causes the letters and the ink and the pixels to jump off of that page seep into your heart and bring about just like this rain and this watering it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it that's a heavy load promise yeah but I don't have time to read okay we'll, we'll get to that for you shall go out with joy or enjoy 
and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you, the earth that you're made up of. Could it be that he's talking about more than just mountains? Could it be that he's talking about local congregations that are big mountains and small hills? The big churches and the small churches? I don't know. Maybe it's my imagination. And the trees of the field, that which bears fruit, will clap their hands. I'm sure he's talking about creation. And all that he has created to give glory to him will clap their hands, will shout praises. But I think he's also talking about us as humans. Because in the earlier verse, he's talking, my word shall go out and bring forth, you know, not, not return empty, but sprout. He's talking about his word in the life of a human. He's talking about his word penetrating the heart of a human, causing sprouting life. So when he talks about mountains, he's talking about heavy weights in terms of big groups. He's talking about hills. He's talking about little, effective, small groups. Instead of the thorn shall come up from the cyp uh, shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Instead of someone who's prickly, like a thorn in the side. You know people like that? I don't know too many people like that, thank God. I know a few. I'm sure we all do. Sometimes it's the person closest to us because they know exactly, we know exactly where our weak spot is, so we sort of, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. We don't get angry with the people across this, the city. We get angry with the closest ones to us because we feel it. We open ourselves, make ourselves vulnerable. And in that vulnerability, the risk is higher. Out of the thorn shall come out the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for memorial. So he's talking about transformation of nature. He's talking about the transformation of a person's nature. The person who was all prickly and difficult to deal with, he can transform and make beautiful and fruitful. An everlasting sign shall not be cut off. The problem though, the problem in that fog is that most of the time we turn the switch off. We turn the switch off in the middle of the fog of our circumstance, we turn the fog light switch off. And we don't come into the place where we can receive light from the word because we got to figure this out. I got to figure this out, man. Just give me some space. I need to just dig deep and figure out how I'm going to get out of this debt or how I'm going to figure this out with my wife or how I'm going to figure this out with my kids or my neighbor, whatever the circumstances or my health. You know, health is one of those things that drives us to God. When we get a bad report from the doctor, most of us, and that's the, the expression, there is no atheists in the trenches. <laughs> You've heard that expression in the war, in the trenches where the soldiers are, everybody is a believer. But as soon as they finish the fight, everybody's a drunkard and a et cetera, et cetera. And that's like that with us. Why is it only that when we have bad news and we can't do anything about it, we become spiritual? We have to do that all the time because there's something in that daily coming into the presence of God, allowing his word. 
You know, Matthew talks about that. And actually, not Matthew, Jesus talks about that in Matthew. He spoke about what the kingdom of God is like. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat. There was a mountain of people. Remember earlier, mountains and hills? That he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. Laura and Patrick and Aaron this weekend are in uh, the other side of the lake with uh, Neil Boron and some of the others at what's called Church on the Beach. They're gathering at the beach and every year they do this as a one-time-in-the-year event. They invite all the different people from all around, the people at the beach. They have an act, an act, uh, an act of worship where they, they worship the Lord with music and then someone gives the word. So may the Lord be blessed in what they're doing today as well. And he told them many things in parables. Sometimes picture words, parables, help us understand. You know, I used a parable this morning with the fog. So it's not literal. It doesn't translate exactly to our life experience of walking in the fog. But Jesus uses the parable to make a point. So he says, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on a path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly. Have you seen those? Especially the, uh, the seeds that somehow fall from the wind. They end up in the cracks between your house and the driveway. They're a real annoyance. But that seed just landed there. It's not the fault of the seed that it landed in the crack between your house and your driveway. On the other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Do you ever feel like that? That your life, like you're that little seed that landed in the middle of that thorny world and it's just, ah. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain. That was the whole point of the seeding. The sower is seeding the, the ground so that he can have a harvest. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. If you have an ear, if you have ears, hear. There's not too many people in the world that don't have ears. They're the exception. So he's telling everybody to hear. He goes on in Matthew and he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. They asked him to explain it. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, what's the word of the kingdom? It's the whole word of the kingdom. Thy word, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Whoever hears, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes up and snatches it away, snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. 
Okay. So, there are some kinds of people. If people are the soil, right? Remember we said that we are earth? So, if we are the type of earth that is a path. You know what the path is, right? You know what a path is? When you're walking, there's grass on this side, there's grass on this side, but there's a path in the middle of the grass that's just hard. Hard. Earth. I'm not talking about paved roads. I'm talking about paths. That path has been walked on many times. That path has been stepped on, probably dumped on, probably garbage was spilt on it, probably people spat on it, who knows what animals have done on it. But whatever that path is, it's gone through hell. The other is this lush green grass. Or in this case, that which you harvest. But this has been beat up. It's not a fault of its own. It didn't choose to be a path. It was in the middle of a field. It's not its own choice. It's the choice of things that happen to it. So the evil one takes advantage of that. As for what was sown on the rocky ground. Now, rocky ground is probably the edge between the, so the path and the field that's sown and harvested. Sort of a barrier. So probably these rocks ended up there because, again, people put them there. Or they haven't been taken out. So some of us in our life have had people put rocks in our hearts because of different arguments, because of different things that have been said, and these rocks need to be removed. Sometimes we went and collected rocks, and we put it along the way so that, you know, we can separate. I need to have a boundary because that person really is toxic. So I'm going to put some bricks. You've heard those things. You probably have done those things. I need to protect my heart. So those bricks, not bricks, but those rocks become difficult for anything to grow in. For as, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it. If there's soil there. It hasn't been stepped on and stomped on and walked on. No horses or drawn carriages have come all over it receives it with joy yet such a person has no root but endures only for a while and when trouble or persecution arises why would it be persecution it's interesting though right persecution arises on account of the word that person immediately falls away as for what was sown among thorns this is the one who hears the word but the cares of this age and the lure of wealth, it's interesting that it's the lure of wealth and the cares. Choke the word and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60 and another 30. If we are earth, 
because we've been made of the earth, the dust of the earth, which is fact. We go back to it. You know, our death and our burial proves our connection to the earth. Right? Do we agree on that? So if that's the case, then all of these parables have to do with us and what God wants to do with us. Remember what we read a few minutes ago? As the rain and the snow come down, what does rain do to a hard path? Makes it muddy, right? It waters it. If you allow the rain to continue on that path long enough, it softens it. You may need to work it a little bit. You know, Silva Gardens, and uh, every year she says this is the last year, and uh, she gardened this year, and there was a path, a, a patch of dirt in the backyard that needed to be turned. And every year we turn it, more stuff comes out. You know, this year what came out was little plastic pieces from some of the mesh that she had put in to help the, the plants grow. It had broken and it landed in there. But a few years ago, every time we turn the earth, or we call it tilling, every time you till the earth, even though we've been gardening for many, she's been gardening, I've been enjoying the fruit. Uh, she's been gardening for many years. Sometimes we would find rocks, hard, like, no, I'm not talking, stones, right? Sometimes we'd even find broken pieces of brick from the time that they built the house that they threw under the grass when they covered it. Sometimes we would find dead roots of old plants that were growing there. But you've got to take all that stuff out. So that's like that second soil. But you never do that until the soil itself has been softened by the spring rain. You don't do it at the end of winter when the snow has packed it and it's all tightened down. You don't do it at the end of the harvest. You wait until the early spring when the rain has come and has watered it to begin to till it. So here we've seen the two types of soil, but there's something that needs to happen. There's a transformation that needs to happen to us that will allow us to move from that path type soil, the rocky type soil, to a better soil, to a more fruit-bearing soil, to a soil that allows the Word of God to penetrate deep into us, to cause us to be soft enough that the fog can lift. The Word of God shows us that He is faithful to remove even the thorns that are in our circumstance, even the wounds that we have suffered, the rocks that have been placed into our hearts, the thorns that surround our lives, the things that we have inherited from the previous generation. He is faithful to speak life into those very things and break the power of those thorns in our lives. In, in Romans, Paul says it this way. He says, but you are not of the flesh. The flesh, the earth, he made Adam out of the earth. The, the flesh is that which is earthly, right? You're not just flesh. You are in the spirit. Since the spirit of God dwells in you, 
anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. He's just flesh. But you are different. The Spirit has come into you. But if Christ is in you, then the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay? So it doesn't matter what kind of soil I was before I've come to him. The soil itself is dead. But he's trying to do something in my spirit now that's so much better. He wants to add to it. And look, look at the rest of this verse. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, how many here are born again? How many have received the spirit? Because that's how you're born again. The spirit comes and dwells in you. So he's talking to all of us when he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies as through his spirit, also through this, uh, his spirit that dwells in you. So the word and the spirit, the spirit is alive in you. He is refreshing you. He is bringing water deep inside those bottom layers of the earth that is your heart, your spirit. The bottom layers of your being. Things that people don't see yet, but the spirit is working under the ground, under the surface. And he's bringing a fresh spring that will cause the, you know, actually he says that. Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So the, the, the undercurrent right now is not seen yet. But the water of the Spirit is working there. And He is bringing that and He's causing that to happen. So what have I said so far? I said that we're walking through a fog. We call it fog brain, we, uh, brain fog. We call it all kinds of things. Whatever the circumstance is that you're going through, the Word of God is there. And it wants to water, give life into you. He wants to guide you. He wants to interact with you, to mature you. Why am I making such a big deal out of this? The deal is big. It's life and death for you, but you may not even realize it sometimes because you're stuck in that fog and you don't see how far life is. And I don't mean life is going to end for you soon. That's not my point. But I mean the fruitfulness of your life. Because of the fog, you don't see it. God wants to interject that. Look what he says in this psalm. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. By your strength, you established the mountains, not the, just the hills. By your strength, you've established the mountains. Those piles of earth that have assembled together to become huge mountains. I told you that monastery is right across Mount Ararat. Mount Ararat was able to support the ark as the waters receded after the flood. Whatever the floods are in life right now, he is looking to make us up into mountains that will be there to support when people's lives are flooded and they can land their ark on us and with us. 
He's, I know I'm using too many pictures here, but you, do you follow what I'm getting at? He wants to establish the mountains. By your strength, you establish the mountains. You are girded with might. You silence the roaring of the sea, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. Notice how he links all of these things together. Nature and humanity, he links them together because we are just like that. We have been made out of that. You know, I was checking the other day. It's like 79% of the surface of the earth is covered with water. And 21% is covered with earth. Okay. The earth is where vegetation grows. The water is where the fish grow right? The vegetation where we live is the earth. In that place, the tumult of the people are created and they dwell and they live. This is who live at earth's, those who live at, at earth's farthest bounds are awed by your signs. You make the gateways of the morning and the evening shout for joy. So he's trying to work with us. He's trying to bring us to that place where we can receive that word where we can receive the power of that word in our lives. When we live in the word, when we study the word on a daily basis, you know, some of us only get exposed to the word on Sundays when we show up to a service. That's starvation. You're starving yourself. You're allowing a whole week to pass and the scorching sun to come down on this path and it becomes so dark and so heavy and so rigid and so walked upon that you're not able to breathe. Others of you periodically get into the Word. Maybe on Sunday mornings here, Sunday afternoon now, and Wednesday or Friday at cell or small group. And you allow some of that to refresh. Some of you are part of the small group chats. And you get a text message with a song, a, you know, a, a worship song or a couple of scriptures that somebody posts. And it just a couple of drops of water come in. And the light flickers on and off. You're not going to sustain your spiritual walk with God like that. And it's not about the study of the word. That's good. That's wonderful. If you study the word, I bless you and I ask for all of us to become students of the word. But some of us are struggling just to even read the word. Make it a habit to get into the word. Read the word. Even if you don't understand it, just read it. Because as you read it, prayerfully, the Holy Spirit working under the current, under the earth, begin to, begins to do things that the next time you read it, it is powerful. It is alive. It is going to start bringing that word of the kingdom alive in you. You do nothing. You're the earth. The seed is what has the life. The sower sows the seed and the seed on its own begins to sprout and bear fruit. You're just the earth. You're just a carrier. You got to cultivate it. You, you got to give God a tender heart. 
But some of us have been so hurt in life that our hearts are not tender. We're guarded just like that rocky path or, or, or rocky side of the path. We've been guarded. But the Lord wants to now open that up. Soften it up with water. You know how a potter works at the potter's wheel? What do they do? Why is it always so messy? It's not like a sculptor that uses chisel and a hammer. The potter actually has a wheel with a circle in the middle that turns and all around it, under the wheel and around the wheel, there's this huge bucket, if you will, where the wheel comes up in the middle and all of that is filled with water. So as the potter is working the clay, they take a little bit of water, pour it onto the clay to soften it. And as long as they're working on it, if it's dry, it will break. But they keep watering it so that the clay becomes softer and softer and more pliable so that it can take the shape of the pot that the potter is working on. The Word of God is just like that. You need it outside of the pot as it's turning and you need it inside of the pot as it's turning. They take a little bit of water in their hand, they put it inside and it now opens up and it forms that pot or that bowl. They take it on the outside, they put it underneath and they run their fingers to smooth out the outside of the bowl. We started off with the fog. We said that it's light. We said that the word of God is like rain and snow. It comes and it waters and it never comes back empty. We need the light in the darkest moments of our lives. We need that water. We need the spirit. We get all that from his word. We get all that on a daily basis from his word. And he causes the change to begin to happen. When we soak ourselves in the word of God, he guides us no matter what the circumstance. I haven't addressed some of the questions as to how does he do that when I don't know how to pay my bills. Guess what? He will give you insight in that moment. How does he do that when I don't know what the doctor is going to tell me about my last test? He will guide you and keep you and give you perspective. How does he do that when my life has fallen apart? Your life has never fallen apart because he will never leave you, never forsake you. He's always there. He'll continue to guide you. He will continue to shape you. He will continue to use you. And you will continuously, you will continually, continuously shout the joys of God. Let's stand up. If anything that I've said has moved you to desire to commit to getting into the word more regularly, confess your starvation in the past. Confess your self-dependence in the past to the Lord. Not out loud, just between you and him. He's faithful. He will forgive you. He will receive you. You are his. You're his child. 
You know, today we have all kinds of diseases as far as mental health. One of them is anorexia. One of them is bulimia. They're affecting the body in ways that we, are, we become malnutritioned. We become unable to live out the purpose of our lives fully. So if you have spiritually starved yourself and become bulimic spiritually, ask the Lord for forgiveness. That's an abuse of your privilege as a child of God because the word is available to you. Just like being, living at home with your mom, she cooks these amazing meals and you just don't want to eat. Every day the meal is served, but you stay in your bedroom because you're so busy. If that's touching you, just confess it to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to change in this area. I want to make a deliberate repentance today. Do you see it as serious as that? Do you see it as vital, like breath? So Father, we come to you with a broken heart because we haven't even seen the importance of your word in our lives. But we ask you, Lord, today, to whatever degree we've drifted in this area, bring us back. Cause us to so depend on your word, so hunger for your word. Just like newborn kids when they're longing for the milk. Let us cry out for the milk of your word. Spark a new interest in us. That we may live in your word. And that may your word bring life to us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.